Disclaimer. This analysis was originally written in 2016. Tonight on MovieCat, we're watching Star Wars The Force Awakens. Force Awakens was released in December of 2015. It was written by Larry Kasdan, J.J. Abrams, and Michael Arndt. It was directed by J.J. Abrams. It starred Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, and Adam Driver. The movie also had a whole galaxy of cameos, smaller roles, and callbacks, consisting mainly of the stars from the original Star Wars trilogy. I'm not sure if this is a joke or not, but on IMDb, The Force Awakens is listed as being 138 minutes. The fun never stops. For this new entry into the Star Wars franchise, I'm rating it a B for general audiences, and I'm giving it an A- for its target audience of Star Wars and sci-fi fans. I'll talk more about why in a little bit. The Force Awakens is the seventh installment in the Star Wars feature film saga, and came ten years after the previous film, Revenge of the Sith. There are also several television shows and countless books and comics in the Star Wars universe, not to mention the innumerable fan-made stories and parodies. All of these different mediums have created a large pool of interconnected tales. Over time, there has been so much Star Wars storytelling going on that in April of 2014, Lucasfilm had to make a clear distinction as to what was going to be considered official canon and what they would call legend. But canon and legend alike share in the Star Wars galaxy and all are part of the same family. The Force Awakens was the first Star Wars film to be made by Disney after they had acquired Lucasfilm in 2012. Obviously, they had a daunting task to create a new Star Wars feature film and live up to fan hopes, potentially igniting a new franchise for Disney. The stakes were incredibly high and their efforts paid off as the film became one of the highest grossing films of all time. The film utilizes an interesting combination of elements which stem mostly from the present-day context in which the film was made and the history of the Star Wars franchise. There seem to be many motivating factors for the choices that the filmmakers made, including building a compelling sequel to the original trilogy, reigniting fan fervor after the prequel trilogy, and working within established Star Wars story modes while expanding on interpretations of Joseph Campbell's myth-making theories, what he called the monomyth. There were a lot of targets to hit, but those targets were set up by the filmmakers themselves and suggest the level of their ambition. Conceivably, there were much safer routes they could have followed. The Force Awakens is a totally new Star Wars story and sequel trilogy actuator, but told by way of a pastiche of the original trilogy. However, its structure is peculiar. While adhering more or less to a classical three-act structure, it also follows Campbell's classic myth form for a minor story arc within the film itself and sets up the first part of a major myth arc for the trilogy, of which it is the first film. Interestingly, its intertextuality to the original trilogy is highlighted by plot point inversions that indicate items to be brought to our attention for their importance. The various story elements of The Force Awakens in relation to the original trilogy can be seen as falling into three groups. Similarities, differences, and inverted similarities. Similarities and differences to the original trilogy are a fairly straightforward affair. There are many reflections, homages, and call-outs, as well as deviations, alterations, and brand new story aspects that entwine the film within the full Star Wars galaxy. The third group of inverted similarities are aspects that serve the same purpose to the narrative as some of the shared qualities, but are changed in such a way as to draw attention and raise questions about their meaning. 
The similarities between The Force Awakens and the original trilogy are often patently obvious. The Death Star returns in the form of Starkiller Base, the Galactic Empire returns as the First Order, and there is a Rebel Alliance facsimile in The Resistance. The main characters also return, Han and Chewbacca, Luke and Leia, and of course, C-3PO and R2-D2. There are also many minor similarities that permeate the film. There seems to be two purposes for this. Firstly, there is the need to reintroduce new audiences to the Star Wars spirit. After all, it had been 10 years since the last feature film of the prequel trilogy, and 32 years since the original trilogy. Secondly, the filmmakers are clearly banking heavily on the benefits of nostalgia to affect and lock in older audience members. But the film's differences are just as stark. There's a new set of protagonists and antagonists, each with their own motivations and goals, namely Rey, Finn, Poe, and BB-8, versus Kylo, Hux, Phasma, and Snoke. There is also a collection of new locations, planets, and bases, as well as a myriad of new minor characters that the audience encounters. While the story again begins Campbell's monomyth cycle, it's not Luke's story, but Rey's, and it follows her own unique experiences. The Force Awakens begins the monomyth in the way that the original trilogy does, with the hero coming from humble origins. Both Luke and Rey are orphans and live somewhere in the galaxy's outer rim. Both are raised on desert planets, Luke on Tatooine, and Rey on Jakku. Here we encounter the first of many inversions. The gender of the hero is flipped. The reason for this is unclear, but obviously important. At first thought, it seems to be merely a political choice by the filmmakers as a way of addressing issues of women in Hollywood. Or, more cynically, it could be a decision to open up the merchandising of the franchise to include more girls. But in the context of the story of The Force Awakens and how it relates to the sequel trilogy, Rey's gender becomes more complicated. Concepts like masculine and feminine energy and the Force come into play. In both the original and prequel trilogies, the Force is controlled by men. The Jedi and the Sith, while opposing each other, are both masculine ascetic orders that study and use the Force. Of course, there were female Jedi and Sith that appear in the prequel trilogy, as well as the Clone Wars television series, but their stories are peripheral, and the concept of an alternate feminine approach to the Force is not fully addressed. That is, not until Rey's story begins. What is interesting and special about Rey is that she is not written as a male character dressed up like a woman, like so many movies out there. She begins her journey and her relationship with the Force from an unexplored angle in the Star Wars franchise. Campbell describes his template as generally following what various myths have laid out and said that some stories reach the monomyth stages in different orders, and sometimes skip over steps that he has recognized. We can see this variation when we compare Luke and Rey's experiences early in their respective tales. The characters are introduced with opposite longings, dreams, and hopes. Luke longs to get away from his life on Tatooine. He dreams of adventure. Rey, on the other hand, is determined to stay put on Jakku. She spends her days waiting for her family that has apparently abandoned her to return. She dreams of a secure family. This is another small inversion that the writers have employed in their design of the main character. It also sets up the question of who Rey's parents are and why they left her behind, a question that is mirrored in Luke's predicament. At the beginning of his story, we are also left with the same question. Later in the saga, we learn that Luke was kidnapped and hidden away from his evil father for the good of the galaxy. Does this mean that Rey is caught up in a similar situation? Luke and Rey both experience a similar call to adventure, the first stage in Campbell's monomyth. They both witness a holographic secret message that is the catalyst for their adventure, although it happens at different times in the three-act structure of the films. Interestingly, the two react differently when they reach the second stage, the refusal of the call. At first, Luke says that he must get back to his uncle's farm and is only fully committed after his aunt and uncle are murdered and the farm is destroyed. 
Only when he has lost everything does he join with Obi-Wan on the adventure. The inversion at the corresponding plot point in The Force Awakens is that Rey has already lost everything. She literally has nothing to lose, but is obstinate in her refusal to leave. Even after she has reached the fourth stage of the monomyth and has crossed the threshold, she is determined to get back from where she started on Jakku. Her continual assertion that she must return to Jakku is a flashing red light drawing our attention to the importance of her history there. The crossing of the threshold is also treated differently. It may be a minor point, but it is indicative of the pattern that the writers have set up. Luke willingly steps through the threshold and enters the cantina at Mos Eisley, wide-eyed and curious. Rey, on the other hand, is forcefully driven out of Nima Outpost by a First Order airstrike, compelling her to begin her journey against her will. This exemplifies the fundamental difference between Luke and Rey. We see that Luke precipitates the adventure and fully engages in it. Conversely, Rey is a reluctant heroine. The events in The Force Awakens are happening to her, not because of her. It's not until the very last sequence of the movie, in the epilogue, that Rey resigns herself to her destiny and actively participates in the adventures to come. This aspect of Rey's character shows that she is innocent of the war that is building around her. Her reluctance to enter the Star Wars effectively illustrates that her motives are virtuous. Campbell describes the third stage in his monomyth as receiving help from a supernatural aid. This is clearly shown when Obi-Wan gives Luke a lightsaber, a magical totem. Strangely, Luke does not use the lightsaber in the first film. It isn't until halfway through the second film in the original trilogy that he learns to wield it. A similar thing happens to Rey. When she is first given the lightsaber, she does not accept it, which is in line of her character. It is not until the climax of The Force Awakens that she takes up the weapon and attempts to fight with it. Like Luke, Rey will undergo her training later in the trilogy. There is a direct reflection within the films for the next couple of stages. Both sets of characters find themselves in the belly of the whale, as Campbell describes it, when they are captured by a tractor beam and drawn into a space station. In one instance, it is the Death Star, and the other, it is the massive spaceship Aravana within which both sets of characters begin the sixth stage of the monomyth, the Road of Trials. These aspects of the movies are very common in action and adventure films, and are simply a series of obstacles against which the hero, heroine, must prove themselves as they struggle to overcome. Luke's adventure includes the ancient legend of rescuing the princess from the dragon. The Force Awakens inverts this fable. In Rey's story, she rescues herself, a peculiar choice given that Rey does have a love interest in Finn, Finn, however, is on his own adventure, although much of his motivation is seated in his several failed attempts to rescue Rey. By the end of the film, he has failed to the point of being almost killed in combat and lies in a coma, setting up his character to rise triumphantly later in the trilogy. Why did the filmmakers call attention to this detail in Rey's story? Why build a metaphorical wall between Rey and love? This could indicate that Rey is to become a Jedi, a monastic order of warriors that abstain from personal relations. The finding of true love is the stage where The Force Awakens begins to veer from the cycle. By the end of the second act, it makes an outright departure from both the original trilogy and, from a certain point of view, Campbell's monomyth. Viewed from the perspective of Campbell's monomyth, The Force Awakens plot progress from the end of the second act to the climax is strangely unexpected. Rey's heroine journey ends with the sixth stage of the monomyth, The Road of Trials. Obviously, this sets up the continuation of her journey in the rest of the sequel trilogy. When George Lucas originally made the first Star Wars film in the 1970s, he didn't know if he was going to be able to complete a full trilogy. Thus, Luke goes on to complete the cycle by the end of the first film. It's at this point that the filmmakers of The Force Awakens face a question. How can they continue on with Campbell's cycle in the first film of a trilogy 
when their heroine still has two more movies which to fulfill the monomyth. The film would seem oddly empty if its third act did not pass through at least some of the remaining stages. The filmmakers come up with a singular solution. The rest of the movie continues the standard three-act structure, but the monomyth stages are divvied up amongst other characters. We, as the audience, subconsciously sense that the stages are being fulfilled, while at the same time we are left wanting more, locking down our anticipation for the rest of the trilogy. The Force Awakens ends with a literal cliffhanger, but it also implants in us a subliminal one. The eighth stage in Campbell's monomyth is that of temptation. The Force Awakens switches this stage over to Kylo Ren's story, the main antagonist, and his struggle with the light and dark sides of the Force. He is tempted by the call to the light. Again, we see an inversion from Luke's tale, where he is tempted by Han Solo to leave the rebellion, to leave the good fight, to leave the light. Kylo's struggle with the Force leads directly to his confrontation with his father, Han Solo. The atonement with the father may be the most important stage of Campbell's monomyth as far as the Star Wars saga goes. Both the prequel and original trilogies lead up to Luke's confrontation with and salvation of Anakin Skywalker, aka Darth Vader, his father. Kylo's encounter with Han Solo is obviously a secondary event when it comes to the major arc of the sequel trilogy, and that may be why the outcome is the inverse of Skywalker's. Solo is murdered and Kylo is further down the path to the dark side of the Force. For Campbell's tenth stage, Apotheosis, the cycle returns to Rey. In both Luke and Rey's story, it is during the climax of the film that they learn to trust the Force and use it to overcome. It is significant that there is no inversion or difference with this point of the story. This underlines that the Force is at the center of Star Wars. And for both Rey and Luke, at the equivalent moments in their stories, the Force awakens within them. The climax of The Force Awakens is again not as straightforward as the original trilogy. The final battle is usually where the hero achieves the ultimate boom the 11th stage of the monomyth. The Force Awakens departs from the original trilogy and splits this achievement into two, the first being the destruction of Starkiller Base by the Resistance, which saves the galaxy from the evil First Order. The second is the discovery of the missing Luke Skywalker, who holds with him the hope of rebuilding the Jedi Order. It's not immediately clear what the motivation is for this bifurcation. After all, it was established that Rey is an excellent pilot, and the writers could have placed her in the resistance squadron that destroys the enemy base. Instead, the writers emphasize her battle on the ground with Kylo Ren, and her struggle to accept the Force into her reality. Here we see the importance the Force plays in her story. Her fight with Kylo is a draw, which indicates that their duel will be postponed. These two aspects of the third act show that Rey is not yet worthy of the ultimate boon. She does not save the galaxy, and she does not find Luke. Poe destroys Starkiller Base, and a curious deus ex machina reveals the location of Luke. Her journey is not yet complete. Star Wars The Force Awakens is perfectly titled for what the movie does for the Star Wars franchise, as well as what it accomplishes as the first film of a new trilogy. It is a movie about beginnings. It is a movie of introductions. It is a movie of awakenings. Each character is introduced along with a push in the direction of their motivation. Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is clearly at the heart of the movie and the entire sequel trilogy, as it was for the original trilogy. Ray distinctly follows the stages that Campbell describes, and yet the screenwriters have tweaked the cycle as a way of informing us who Ray is and what lies ahead for her. When we use the original trilogy as our codebook, we can see happenings and patterns in Ray's story that bring a deeper meaning. Okay, so why did I give this movie a B for general audiences and an A- for its target audience? 
Firstly, it should be said that finding someone on the planet that is not familiar with the Star Wars franchise is pretty difficult. It's a movie phenomenon that embedded itself in cultures around the world and has influenced the trajectory of our planet's history. That being the case, there are people out there that Star Wars was not really intended for, but still go to the movies. Weird, I know. As much as I love Star Wars and The Force Awakens, it does have its problems. But when considering the context in which the movie was made, that is, the filmmakers were rebooting the franchise, the reasons for its weaknesses appear more as compromises than mistakes. The main issue with The Force Awakens and why it gets a B is its reliance on rehashing tropes from A New Hope and the other films from the original trilogy. It was perhaps a mistake to think that the general audiences were not as familiar with those films from the 70s and 80s as they in fact were. Because of this, The Force Awakens seems less creative in a general sense than it could have been. There are also some plot holes that stand out and call attention to themselves, such as the appearance of Luke's lightsaber, the fact that R2-D2 had a secret section of the map all along, and where did this map come from anyway? The exposition of the world is a little weak, like, where did the First Order come from? Who is this Snoke guy? What's going on with the Republic? But really, these are things that are background information and can be filled in in subsequent movies. Not that crucial, but they do raise annoying questions. It would have been more satisfying to have more answers in the details. The fact that these issues made it into the final film seemed to indicate that not all the details were well thought out. There are actually a lot of nitpicky problems with the movie, and that's why it gets a lesser grade. For its intended audience, sci-fi and Star Wars fans, these issues are forgivable, and the movie gets an A-. The filmmaking of The Force Awakens on a technical and creative level is simply the best. What is so interesting about the production of The Force Awakens is that they used a tremendous amount of good karmic and lucky charms in their craft, and frankly, these decisions paid off. Firstly, the production hired Larry Kasdan to helm the script. Kasdan is known for writing The Empire Strikes Back, which many regard as the best Star Wars movie. They of course brought back John Williams to score the film. The score is fantastic and combines the feel of the previous films with new themes and drama. Dan Mindell, the cinematographer, had special lenses made that would mimic the lenses that were used on Star Wars in the 1970s. Many of the old actors were brought on board to reprise their roles. Of course, the biggies were there, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Peter Mayhew, Anthony Daniels, but also small role actors were brought back, such as Sallow Gardner, who was in the original Cantina scene. The list goes on and on. There was certainly a huge amount of reverence paid to the original trilogy. Another strong part of the production was casting newcomers Daisy Ridley and John Boyega. Both of their performances are energetic and fun and bring a lot to the movie. Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver bring a lot of experience and ground the performances. Of course, there are many more talented actors filling the screen, such as Lupita Nyong'o, Andy Serkis, and Domhnall Gleeson. Of course, J.J. Abrams' dynamic directing with his trademark fast-paced action makes for a memorable thrill ride. In the end, The Force Awakens seems very much like an all-star sports match. The best from all the teams are brought in. It's clear that Disney spared no expense in rebooting their franchise the right way. Okay, okay, back to present time. The Force Awakens was clearly meant to be the beginning of things for the new Disney Star Wars franchise. And it was. When J.J. Abrams and Larry Kasdan were writing the story, that was their goal, to touch off the powder. They embedded a large number of unanswered questions and story pointers for later filmmakers to build upon. This wasn't lazy screenwriting, it was obviously an intentional tactic to steer future projects at least a little bit. We can now see what happened. Some of the results were great, some not so great. I suppose that is to be expected. A lot of what I was thinking about when I originally wrote this essay back in 2016 about Joseph Campbell and his monomyth theories were not picked up and developed by the subsequent filmmakers. And that's okay. 
But it goes to show these interpretations are not necessarily correct or incorrect or have anything to do with what the various filmmakers were thinking when they created the Star Wars movies, or any other movies for that matter. Hey, movie cats. Whenever I watch a movie, there's always some nagging questions that linger with me. Small things that get stuck in my head. Here's just a few from Star Wars The Force Awakens. How does Lore Santeca fit into all this? Is BB-8's language different from R2-D2's? Do Sith Lords have military rank the way the Jedi do? Regarding Captain Phasma, does J.J. Abrams have to pay Don Coscarelli royalties? Simon Pegg used to be such a Star Wars critic, why was he hired to play Ankar Plot? Many comedians who have criticized Star Wars have been hired to play minor roles. Why? What's a better number? 1138, 2187, or TK421? What is wrong with Kylo Ren's unstable lightsaber blade? Who actually made the map to Luke Skywalker? Did Luke know about it? What's the difference between a Star Wars alien creature and a Star Trek one? What planet does the First Order blow up? Is it Coruscant? They never really say. Thanks for listening. I may never figure them all out. Hey, movie cats. I'm just a puppet, but there are real cats out there that need your help, really. Please take some time to locate the cat shelter that is nearest to you and make a donation. And if you're in need of some love, as we all are, you can adopt a cat from that shelter and improve your life, as well as the lives of our feline friends. Thanks so much for your help.